welcome to this week's episode of The Wow, the podcast that will help you navigate your way through the world of adulthood and the uncontrollable forces of womanhood. I'm Georgina Beasley, your host, and in today's episode, we'll be hearing from Cassandra Marikas from Pleasured Centered Sexology. I sat down with Cassandra to talk all about redefining sex and how we can make sex more pleasurable for women. If you enjoy today's episode, please remember to subscribe, leave a review, share it with your friends, and if you haven't already, join our community on Instagram at thewowpodcast underscore. Hello, Cassandra, and welcome to the WOW podcast. Thank you so much for jumping on and chatting to us all today. Thank you so much for having me, Georgie. So we start every podcast off with the same question, and that is if you would tell us a little bit about yourself. So I'm a sexologist. I'm offering fully online sex therapy to people in Australia and New Zealand. I get to work from home, which is pretty cool. I live with my sisters and my parents and sometimes my partner. So I'm at home all the time. I don't think I've left my house since like March, except for my hours of freedom. That is because you are based in Melbourne. For those listeners who are unaware, it's not just because Cassandra's a hermit. She is staying inside for proper reasons. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) I love being outside. I love taking my dogs for walks or going on hikes and stuff like that. I read a lot. I absolutely love um, progressive horror and, and dark speculative fiction, as well as some nonfiction like social justice, um, feminist stuff that is intersectional. Um, at the moment, I'm reading Hood Feminism by Nikki Kendall and um, I Hope We Choose Love by Kai Cheng Tom. So great books. Highly recommend. <laughs> Love a good book recommendation. So moving forward, what did you want to be when you grew up? I couldn't imagine that being a sexologist was something you always aspired to be when you were younger. Yeah, I find this is such a challenging question because I never really knew what I wanted to be when I was younger. I think I was just quite happy just to play outside with my sisters or like watch scary movies and just like have fun. And even when I finished high school, I didn't really know what I wanted to be Um, and it it takes so much exploring which I think it's something that not a lot of people talk about like we we kind of expected to like know what we want early on or know what we want as soon as we're ready to like transition into that stage but that was never my experience and so yeah I kind of I do struggle with that sometimes. Yeah no that's interesting I think there is a lot of pressure to have something chosen but I mean, like I chose a degree and I wasn't even sure what I wanted to do with it. (laughs) So I feel like there's always a good way around it. So how did you then end up, if you weren't aware of really where you wanted to go with your career, how did you end up falling into sexology? So I um, started with a Bachelor of Psychology and then I went on to do honours and I knew that I didn't want to be a psychologist because I found that the area my study in the industry even to be very pathologizing. So in the sense that it was very individual focused, individual problem that someone has brought on to themselves and requires an individual solution. Mm -hmm. And it really ignored the social structures and um, other forms of oppression or or even stress and discrimination and things like that. And in my honours year, I did a thesis in sexting 
and really recognised how, you know, closely uh, sexual wellbeing and mental wellbeing are linked and then kind of just progressed in there. I found a Master's of Sexology that, you know, it really resonated with me. It aligned with my values so much more than anything in the field of psychology did. And I kind of just went through that way. So it wasn't really a remarkable story about anything about me personally, but I just, I kind of just liked it. It sounded, it's a cool area to be in. No, it's fascinating how you just end up going on a journey and falling into it almost. Like there was no intention behind it. It was just, it all ended up falling into place for you. Yeah. Like I was just exploring and I was like, I kind of like this, but I'm not really sure about this and obviously the to be a clinical psychologist the process is long it's it's six years and I ended up basically doing that when I did my master's anyway but it is it's a process of exploring it's never linear and that's okay and it's it's good to yeah it's good to just take that time to sort of you know discover what's out there yeah so let's jump into today's questions I'm really excited to talk about redefining sex with you because I think it's something we're not taught a lot about in high school. I know I went to an all-girls school and it was something that we didn't even touch the surface. So I think having grown up, I've been very blindsided about the definition of sex and it only in my eyes being perceived as the traditional way that I guess we see sex as in movies being uh, the male penis inserted into the vagina. So that's really what I've grown up my whole life realising that's what sex is. And then I feel like as I've grown up I've realised, well, hey, that doesn't always work and that's not always the way that sex is especially for the lgbt plus community and it doesn't always traditional sex work for women so cassandra do you believe that women have been poorly educated about sex and if so why do you believe that's the case and i think that's such a great question i actually think you know people of all genders have been deprived or denied accurate pleasure positive sexual education Mm. Um, especially, you know, people from the LGBTQIA plus community, disabled people, um, and people that kind of don't really fit the dominant narrative or their, you know, their identity is different from the norm, I guess. Uh, a lot of this is because, uh, we live in a purity culture. So sex is taboo. Sex is sinful and there's a lot of of misunderstanding and fear around sex. We live in systems of oppression um, and social structures like the patriarchy, like white supremacy, like capitalism that want to keep people on the dark. And in many ways, knowledge is power. And so without that knowledge about, you know, what does good sex mean or, you know, how to have a pleasurable sexual experience that includes a lot of consent and, and things like that, that centers the pleasure of everybody equally. Without that, you can be controlled more easily, you can be judged, you're shamed. And then there's also medical messages that teach us sex is dirty, mm. that if you have sex, you'll die, like remember from Mean Girls. Yeah. <laughs> or media messages that su- suggest, like, you know, an enjoyment in sex is uh, promiscuous or it, those people don't have strong values. And even that's where victim blaming and um, rape culture tie in. Yeah, it's really interesting 
bringing in the social structure and constructs that we have grown up in because it's, it's always been like, I mean, even socially nowadays, it's completely fine for men to talk about how many people they've had sex with. But when it is that conversation's turned on women, it's like, oh, my gosh, shock. We could not ever talk about a woman sleeping with multiple men even though it's just complete hypocrisy and mm-hmm. I don't <laughs> I don't understand it and I, so from a personal perspective I really want women to feel more educated around this and to not feel shame so I'm excited to explore this further with you Cassandra how do you define sex then and why is it important that we change our views on traditional perspectives of sex I actually use uh, sexologist Shamira's definition of sex. You should go follow her on Instagram. She's great. Which is any physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, erotic connection or pleasurable experience. Mm. So you can really see that broadens what sex can be. A wider definition of sex means you're increasing opportunities for pleasurable encounters and Sex can look different every time, so that also adds to, the no- adds to the novelty and excitement of it. And as well, like if you're not up for one kind of sex, you've got plenty more options. Mm. Um, and, you know, it's important that we change our views if, you know, it depends if it's the traditional sex definition of sex sorry, works for you and for mm. other people. Like does it support your pleasure and does it support other people's pleasure? Or does it include you and does it include others that might be different from you? Even things like um, do you care about the people that have been excluded? So thinking about how rewriting the definition of sex on a social level, how does that benefit everybody? And then you can decide, well, is it a positive thing? Is it an important thing to, to reframe that, rewrite it? Because mm. I only recently learned that the dictionary definition for sex is is quite basically what we spoke about before is that very much traditional perspective of the male penis being inserted into the female vagina which is very exclusive to many different people and also I feel like it narrows our vision as to what pleasure can be as Mm -hmm. women and it really brings it down to only one act which actually doesn't focus on pleasuring the woman at all it's focused on pleasuring the male so what are some common reasons that make it hard for women to enjoy traditional sex there's painful penetration or even a fear of penetration some medication makes it difficult to have pleasurable penetration I guess including sort of atrophy so which is a thinning of the vaginal walls and and a reduction in lubrication that some people experience going through menopause but is also uh, a side effect of some medication, especially for transmasculine people who are taking testosterone. They often experience a lot of vaginal atrophy that makes penetration really difficult. Um, things like endometriosis, being exhausted or, you know, really fatigued, it can be really hard to have sex when you don't have the energy to sustain it. Other things like chronic illnesses, um, surgery, Uh, cancer and and treatments as well, being disabled and having limited mobility so you can't get into some positions that you think is necessary to have penetrative sex. Even the fact that people are told that they should enjoy penetrative sex becomes a barrier that makes it hard to enjoy it, as well as most people, most people with vulvas 
at least, you know, between 60 and 70% need clitoral stimulation to uh, experience an orgasm or, or feel pleasure. So that kind of explains that penetrative sex that only focuses on vaginal penetration excludes the rest of the vulva and the clitoris that is essential part of pleasure. So do you find that a lot of the people that come to see you are these people that find the traditional perspective of sex hard and they're looking for different ways to, I guess, find pleasure because we have only been educated to know that this one form of sex some people are. Some people are looking for alternative ways. Other people want to find a way to have sex in the term, like in traditional sex, uh, because it's not working for them because they're experiencing pain or because they can't be sexual in the way that they want to. And they're often dealing with shame and they're feeling abnormal um, mm-hmm. and want to, you know, resolve that or want to f- figure out how they can have penetrative sex again. So sometimes the work is actually exploring, well, what can you do right now? And, you know, does this definition of sex, um, the dominant definition, does that even benefit for you? Benefit you? Does it even work for you? Yeah, yeah. And so a question from our listener who remained anonymous today, um, does the marina or pill or being on these kinds of contraception lower your libido? And if so, what are some ways that we can improve our libido while still remaining on these methods of contraception? Such a good question. Uh, Something that, yeah, we don't talk about a lot, but it's a big thing. Um, So some people actually find that starting the pill or using Marina, which is the hormonal um, IUD, Mm -hmm. uh, it does decrease their desire. Mm -hmm. But others have said that their desires stayed the same. And some people have even said that they're their desire of libido have, has increased. So, you know, it's definitely possible that the pill could be impacting someone's desire. And for some people, certain long-acting uh, reversible contraception, which is a form of, you know, the pill or the IUD or the, uh, the implanon or the injection, those things have a big impact on their mental and emotional health. So they could, you know, in turn be impacting their desire. But there's also so many other factors that decrease desire or interest in sex, things like relationship challenges, body dissatisfaction, you know, oppression or trauma, being distracted and and being stuck in your head. Attention plays a big part in desire. Uh, So does, you know, not becoming aroused enough, not having the time to become aroused because most people need between 15 minutes and 60 minutes to become fully aroused in their body and that has to happen in a lot of cases before somebody even feels like they want to be sexual. Yeah. So there's many things that could be going on and it makes it quite confusing to figure out, you know, is it the pill, is it some other lifestyle factor, is it something else that I'm dealing with right now? But if it is a hormonal contraception and it feels like that is an issue for you, then that might be right. And connecting with your GP again or finding another doctor to talk about your options, letting them know that you think the pill or your marina is having an impact on desire um, and exploring other options, other contraception, other forms of contraceptive are really helpful, um, whether that's a different brand or something like that. If you're having low libido issues and for whatever reason is there ways to go about trying to increase these like how would you recommend 
yeah, if you know that your libido is becoming a problem, that you can make a conscious effort to change that. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are a few things that you can do. Um, and I just want to say that for most people, even though sexuality can be fluid and can shift depending on what's going on in your life, desire is desire tends to be stable. Like you kind of have your normal um, mm-hmm. and that might fluctuate at the start of a relationship. It might um, peak because, you know, of hormones to bond and then it, it, it'll, you know, go down to what your normal level is. But the things that you can do include sort of addressing external factors that are inside your control. Maybe that might be trying a new form of contraception, whether that's a different pill, trying the implant, having the progesterone injection instead, exploring with your GP, you know, and then you've ruled out whether it's the pill or not. Managing stress if it's outside of your control. So getting stress out of your body, emotional processing, like feeling your feelings, grounding exercises, doing mindfulness, going for walks, being in nature, all those things make a big difference as well because stress plays a huge role. If your lower desire is related to relationship issues, like can you address those issues? Can you, you know, connect with your partner in different ways or, you know, see seek support with a relationship counsellor or a sex therapist to uh, figure out what's going on in your relationship that might be contributing to a lower level of desire. The other thing that is really positive to spike desire, I guess, is connecting with your sexual side. So that might mean talking about sex more often. It might mean reading erotica. It might mean uh, exploring your body and, and focusing on solo sex or figuring out what feels really pleasurable to you. Mm-hmm. Connecting with your sexual side regularly makes your brain more aware of sexually relevant things in your environment. Um, it's, you know, a powerful kind of antidote to, to stress and other things like that. Yeah, focusing on pleasure and, and connecting with sex is a really important part of improving or boosting desire. It'd be interesting to know if the release of um, erotic novel, for example, Fifty Shades of Grey, when it was popular in all the mum's book club books, <laughs> whether that led to an increase in um, sex out of their, like, normal environment. <laughs> yeah, it's a good question. It could have. Definitely could have. <laughs> so how does traditional sex disadvantage the pleasure of women? So traditional sex or the dominant model of sex, it, it centres often white cis men's pleasure above all else. It kind mm-hmm. of follows this script from foreplay to penetration, ending with ejaculation. And mm-hmm. women or non-binary people or anybody else, their pleasure is secondary or you know, it's irrelevant within this structure. There's also this trope called lesbian bed death, which suggests that the absence of a penis, you know, even if that's um, anything that symbolises a penis, like a dildo or whatever, if that's absent, it means that the people in those relationships will end up in sexless relationships. Mm. And it's because the the penis or ejaculation is centred in, in real sex, and without those things, then, you know, those relationships are seen as something's missing or uh, less than or unable to actually have real sex. Because the definition is so narrow-minded to only include such a small number of us that unless we are educated to broaden our definitions of sex, 
would feel uncomfortable in thinking if you obviously can't have sex in the traditional way that you're not having sex at all. So I know when I had a call with you, you were saying that females don't have many pleasure points inside the vagina. So when you're, when we're having traditional sex, it's not necessarily as pleasurable. Could you please like elaborate on that a little bit more for our listeners? Yeah, of course. So inside the vaginal canal, there's no real nerve endings. Mm-hmm. When you um, experiencing penetration or anything inside the vagina, you might feel pressure, you might feel friction, but you don't feel a lot of strong sensations. Mm-hmm. Um, the G-spot area is actually um, the back of the clitoris being stimulated through the wall of the vagina um, as well as maybe the urethra being stimulated and and then the pressure and friction of the vagina. And that's kind of what, you know, can feel really pleasurable having penetration, but it isn't pleasurable for all people. And the clitoris is kind of where all the nerve endings are. So yeah. stimulation of the clitoris and the clitoris is quite a big structure. It's not just a little bit that you see poking out. Um, it is quite a a big uh, I've got one up there but I can't show anyone but I I suggest that everyone look up what the clitoris looks like (laughs) yeah so when you're talking about the clitoris are are we talking about the I mean to put it quite blunt the bit in between your flaps (laughs) yeah but it actually goes under the tissue so it's hidden so you can't see a lot of it it runs down sort of the the side of the vagina I guess almost almost all the way down to the opening so Mm -hmm. under your labia if you sort of stimulate that area, you're kind of stimulating the clitoris legs or, or its bulbs. So it's a, a large structure and, yeah, I would recommend searching it on Google and seeing what the clitoris structure actually looks like. And so what I wanted to ask is about orgasms because I feel like it's quite common for women to feel it's shameful or maybe there's something wrong with them when they can't orgasm through traditional sex. How common is it for women to be able to orgasm through traditional sex? I think about 30% of people can reliably, people with vulvas can reliably have an orgasm through vaginal penetration. So without any clitoral stimulation. That's that's like no one. (laughs) That's a really small amount because I just think, that the, for young women who are entering their, I guess, this phase in their life where they're experiment, experimenting with their sexual desires, I think that not understanding and not having that education around that is can be so dangerous because you can feel like there's something wrong with you. You know, sex is built up to be this, the holy grail of all things. So when you have it and it's not pleasurable and you don't orgasm, you feel like there's something wrong with you, which is not the case. It's just the case that traditional sex actually doesn't support the pleasure of women and it's very unlikely because of the structure of our vaginas that we can end up orgasming. We find that not having education around this can be dangerous for the way that young people perceive sex. Yeah, it can contribute to a lot of shame, a lot of you know, judgment, a lot of sort of rejection of, you know, the body and and the potential for pleasure. When you don't, when you don't really know how your body works, you don't know how to interact with it. You don't know how to increase your own pleasure. And you also don't know how to communicate what feels good with your partners. 
And when you don't know what feels good or when you don't have the information, you're more likely to maybe tolerate things that don't feel enjoyable, things that feel painful, just for the sake of, you know, it's normal to have sex, so you should just endure it. It's your obligation. It's your duty as a woman is what we're taught to, you know, be sexual because that's normal, because that's what we owe partners because that's what we owe men. Again, the social construct. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So we've spoken about the clitoris being a really um, pleasurable point on the women's body. Is there other pleasurable areas um, on the female body? And can you list some of those? Absolutely. The clitoris is just one of many erogenous zones across Mm -hmm. the body, which are essentially parts of the body that have heightened sensitivity, um, and can create feelings of arousal when when touched or stimulated in some way. So places with lots of nerve endings, really, the your lips and your mouth, your fingers and your toes, the sole of your foot, the palms of your hand. Uh, sometimes it's in, in your joints, like in your elbow joint, behind your knees. Lower back is really uh, sensitive. Nipples, ears, sometimes parts of the face. Often the neck is really sensitive and you know in people with other bodies it's the testes and the penis as well that are hypersensitive. So in terms of creating arousal in those areas does that generally come from touch? Usually yeah it comes from touch sometimes you can um, gently blow on an area and that can feel really nice and sort of tingly as well because you're still stimulating the area um, but it's just with your breath instead Mm. of your hands. But often, um, yeah, touch, sometimes you can use materials, feathers, other um, sensations, like creating other sensations that feel really, really sort of satisfying and enjoyable. So what are some other ways in which women can seek pleasure with their partners? We've spoken, obviously, primarily today about traditional sex, but if so, we want to open up that to more things and really redefine what that definition looks like what are some other things that we can put into this like sexual repertoire that we're creating when it comes to sexual pleasure I guess pleasure can come in the form of mutual masturbation so that might mean uh, masturbating each partner masturbates the other or they masturbate themselves in in front of the other person Um, it might be a sensual or a sexy massage it might mean just reading erotica to each other or watching porn together. It might mean talking about fantasies. It might mean uh, oral pleasure or anal pleasure. Um, it might be food play, uh, intense play, things like that, using paddles and, and spanking and, and things to, you know, connect with the other erogenous zones of your body when you're with your partner. And I guess like relational pleasure can also happen in you know the emotional realm the mental realm and the spiritual realm as well so it doesn't have to all be by touch often it's about being you know fully seen under understood and and heard by somebody else and that in itself is really pleasurable because you feel so connected to somebody who understands what you enjoy and is willing to share that experience with you. So for people that are wanting to broaden their definitions of sex, how do you recommend navigating that um, conversation with their partners? Um, There are a few different ways. Um, You can create your own sex menu, which is 
you just you write out a list of all the sexual activities that you you can think of that anybody might enjoy, whether it's from kissing to a massage to uh, BDSM, anything along the sexual activity spectrum, I guess. And you write it down on a list and then you go through and you circle or you highlight the things that appeal to you that you're willing to try or that you want to try and you might encourage your partner to do the same thing and then you'll compare and, and see, you know, where are you on the same page? Are there any activities that you're both open to trying? So that's that's a really helpful way. Um, another way is the Afrosexology. Um, they're two black sex educators. They have an Instagram page. They've created a circle of pleasure, which is um, another great way to redefine what sex might look like. And it's about centering pleasure. So in a circle, you write the word pleasure and all around the circle, you write all the activities that bring you pleasure that might be erotic in some nature, whether that is watching porn or masturbating or having a sexy massage, all those things um, you might write around, write around the circle of pleasure. And you might do that with your partner. You might do it on your own and, and share it with your partner um, it's a process and, and it's not something that you have to jump into straight away if you don't want to. It's something that you move into gradually and you might talk about, well, you know, this experience feels really pleasurable to me. Um, would you be open to doing more of it or so on? For those links, uh, for those Instagram accounts that you've mentioned today, Cassandra, I will pop them in the show notes so our listeners can go check them out because they obviously are highly helpful for people that are wanting to better understand pleasure. So could you please recommend three reasons why it's important that we redefine the traditional definition of sex? Firstly, I guess we want to challenge the um, heteropatriarchy. So this current definition of sex or the, or the dominant definition of sex, it's um, heteronormative. It excludes a lot of people. And through challenging those norms, it means acknowledging the ways that the most marginalised people, the most oppressed people have been excluded. Um, and it also means acknowledging that this dominant narrative or the dominant definition doesn't really serve everybody in the same way and it often creates a lot of issues for a lot of people. Um, so I guess yeah, my second one would, for example, um, it creates pressure or expectations that lead to performative or, or um, pleasure anxiety. So when people believe they have to follow this script and they're stuck in what they should do rather than what they actually want and they might find they're no longer present in their bodies because they're worried about how their body's functioning or how their body looks because it doesn't feel like it's adhering to the norm that they've taught that it should. And a final reason would be because traditional sex centers the penis and ejaculation and cis men's pleasure first but pleasure is important for all people and sex should reflect that so I guess by redefining the traditional scripts and, and replacing the shoulds with what what do you want instead and what's possible for you right now people can increase their opportunities for pleasure and connection without having to change themselves. Cassandra can you recommend a motto or quote um, when it comes to sex that you live by? I thought this was a very cool question. I haven't been asked it before. Um, but 
uh, Emily Nagoski, uh, sexual educator, and she's the author of Come As You Are, an excellent book, and also Burnout, another great book. Um, she says, when the script doesn't seem to match your experience, the script is wrong, not you. And that basically means, you know, if your your sexual norm or your sexual experiences don't align with what the norm is, then you're not the one to blame. It's obviously the way society has created these really rigid and narrow norms that tries to squeeze everyone or tries to fit everybody into mm. a box. I really wish that would be explained to every girl who is of legal age because I feel like it would do such wonders to empowering uh, young girls and educating them rather than making them feel ashamed for what may happen in their sexual experiences. And finally, Cassandra, could you please tell me a little bit more about your business, Pleasure Centred Psychology, oh, Sexology, sorry. Thanks for asking, Georgie. Um, so I started in private practice in March this year, so I guess right when we realised how serious uh, COVID-19 was. Um, but it's fully online sex therapy for anyone living in Australia or New Zealand and through this business, I offer, you know, a safe, inclusive, non-judgmental and trauma-informed space for people to talk about sexual topics or challenges. Um, it's for, you know, anybody that needs support, sexual support in a way to, you know, unpack or explore or relearn or unlearn um, sexual narratives and understand themselves a little bit more. My main areas of practice include sort of prioritising pleasure or exploring pleasure challenges, uh, dealing with psychological or emotional sides of a painful penetration or even fear of penetration, um, desire and arousal challenges, which might mean having a lower desire and, and what can you do about that or navigating differences in desire between a partner and yourself um, and finally, I work with people that are disabled or that have a chronic illness and want to navigate sex, pleasure, their sexuality and relationships. You can find me at my website, which is pleasurecenteredsexology.com.au or you can find me on Instagram at pleasurecenteredsexology. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to come chat to us today, Cassandra. I mean, I've learned so much uh, just in the short time of being able to chat with you. Uh, I think it's just fantastic the work that you're doing and I guess the social constructs that you're breaking down and to educate more people. It's just so fantastic and it was an absolute um, pleasure chatting to you today. Thank you so much, Georgie. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure to chat with you as well and I think this is a fabulous podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of The Wow. I hope you found my conversation with Cassandra empowering and educational. If this is a topic that you want to explore more, I actually have a really good recommendation for you. A friend of mine, Kirsty Marshall, can be found on YouTube and Instagram under the name Oi Kirst. She has made it her mission to redefine sex for the LGBTQIA community. Kirsty has put together a series of both videos and a podcast series on YouTube and Apple Podcasts where she interviews a range of people from the community all about 
their sexual experiences and how they define sex. It's super educational and insightful. And if you want to learn more about the LGBTQIA plus community, I would highly recommend it. Otherwise, we drop new episodes every Tuesday. So make sure you subscribe or you can come follow us on Instagram at the wow podcast underscore for more updates. Lastly, just a friendly reminder that the information shared in this podcast is general advice only and does not take into account your personal situation or needs. Where appropriate, please consult a health practitioner first. And I'm on a roll, baby.